Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. So you already know that I love to geek out on all things nutrition, fitness, health, and also that I'm a big believer in bio-individuality, and I have a soft spot for anyone who knows how to blend the two, and that's why I was so excited to chat with today's guest, Christine Hronick, who is the founder of Gage Girl Training. Gage Girl Training is an online meal planning, training, and coaching service, And Christine has been one of my favorite people to watch on YouTube for such a long time because she puts out incredible content. There is so much BS information in the fitness industry, in the nutrition industry, and I love that she's so science-based and also gives really holistic advice to get her clients to reach their goals. And she really does focus on bio-individuality and how different people have different body types, so different things are going to work for them. Christine has a super interesting background. She graduated from Drexel with a BS and MS in chemical and biological engineering. She went to work as a process engineer as the only female engineer under 40 in a building of over 500 scientists. And then she switched industries in 2008 and wanted to focus on health-based sciences. So she was the senior VP of research development and manufacturing of Nuvalex, which is a company that uses biotechnology to create safe natural products in the pharmaceutical and nutraceutical industries. She went from being a former marathon runner and self-proclaimed cardio junkie to a bikini competitor putting her science and research to the test. And through all those experiences, she has learned so much and knows so much about how to adjust nutrition and fitness to help people reach their goals. And I also love that Christine focuses so much not only on education, but also empowerment and empowering people to work with their bodies, not against their bodies. And she talks a lot about the mental health side of dieting and weight loss and all of that. So I really love her approach. She is awesome. She's been featured in Forbes, OK Magazine, Flex Magazine, The Huffington Post, CBS, Fox News, Muscle and Fitness, so many different media outlets. And again, you can find everything from her at gagegirltraining.com. She has a bunch of different options for meal plans and training programs, both at home and in the gym. And it caters to different body types, which she will explain more in this podcast episode. And I highly recommend following her on Instagram at Gage Girl Training because she puts out such great information. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into this chat with Christine Heronic. Thank you so much, Christine, for coming on the podcast. I've been so excited to chat with you. And like I told you, I'm such a huge fan of your content. I've been following you for a long time. And I want my audience to get to know more about you. So for anyone who's not familiar with your work, can you just share a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, So um, it's nice to be here. And I just want to thank you so much, Christina, for having me today. Um, My name is Christine Hironic. I'm the founder of Gage Girl Training, an online meal planning and coaching service. I'm a food scientist and chemical engineer. I'm also the founder of Gage Life Nutrition Supplements. So I create a lot of YouTube content in addition to offering nutrition coaching services. And I just absolutely love what I do. And it's just a a pleasure to be able to help educate people on nutrition. I feel like so many people are confused about it. Yeah, a lot of people are very confused about it. Exactly. Uh, And I think especially... In the fitness world, there's a lot of um, 
kind of bad nutrition advice given mm-hmm. out. And Absolutely. that's why I just love your approach because um, you have so much experience and science behind it. But I think it's really interesting that you, you start off in engineering, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I studied uh, chemical engineering at Drexel University. I have a bachelor's and master's, and I worked as a chemical engineer for six years at DuPont. And after that, I moved on to the biotech field, started doing stuff in nutraceuticals. And then I started like consulting on the side with some companies doing building products for them. And around 2010, I got the offer to be a partner in a dietary supplement manufacturing company. I built the manufacturing plant, formulated thousands of products over the years for other companies, and we manufactured for other brands. And by around 2011, 2012, I started competing. People started asking me for advice. And by 2013, I created a a business to monetize it. And here we are 2019, about six and a half years later, and I have like an entire team of 10 employees. We work with clients all over the planet and, you know, we've helped over 30,000 people um, with their health goals. Yeah. So what got you into competing? Um, I always wanted to have abs and I could never do it. I used to be a distance runner back in the day and I was convinced that if I ran a marathon, I would have abs. And I did all of that, checked everything off my bucket list and I still didn't have it. So it just irritated me to no end that I couldn't get it no matter how hard I worked. And it wasn't until I completely changed my nutrition, tweaked my fitness. You know, it's not just about cardio. It's about lifting. It's about like all the cardio on the planet won't give you abs if you're not eating correctly. So, um, it was a big, it was a challenge and I wanted to see if I can do it. So tell me about what those nutrition tweaks looked like for you. Um, it looked like a lot more protein. It looked like a little bit less fat. It looked like dialing in my carbs based off of my total daily energy expenditure. And believe it or not, it's not necessarily about eating nothing. It's just about eating correctly for your goals. Yeah, I read something on your website that um, I really liked and I wanted you to talk a little bit more about. It said, eating less doesn't necessarily result in the physical changes one was hoping to achieve. Mm -hmm. No, it's true because the body needs fuel. And I think so many people have a very poor understanding of nutrition, a very poor understanding of the human body and the science behind it. And so many people think if I just eat less, I'm going to look better. And it doesn't equate food is fuel. You need it for biological functions. And the thing is you need to understand food and how to use it to work with your body as opposed to fighting our bodies. I feel like so many of us, especially as women, have been just draining our body of the nutrients we need. And then we're wondering why we have no energy, feel like crap, and just aren't getting where we want to be. I think that also begs the question, though, I mean, this is the big debate, right? In fitness, it's like, is it as simple as calories in, calories out? Um, And the answer, in, in my opinion, is no. Obviously, that's a part of it, but there's also a hormonal element to it as well. So calories in, calories out does matter. But if you only count the calories of your food as opposed to the composition of what makes up those foods, you're going to have some nutritional deficiencies. You're not going to have all the correct nourishment that you need because, you know, if I eat 1500 calories a day, but it's 100% potato chips versus 1500 calories a day with some salmon and some brown rice and some, you know, nice broccoli and all kinds of things. It, the, the end result and impact of how those foods break down on your body on a biological level, it, it varies for mm-hmm. sure. Well, and in terms of macronutrients, um, I would like, do you, is there a metabolic advantage to eating certain macronutrient ratios? Um, it depends. It depends. Now the thing is, Your body does need to be in a positive nitrogen balance in order to utilize fat as a fuel source, and protein is the only macronutrient that does contain nitrogen. Now, that being said, your metabolism is going to be impacted by your total energy intake, and that's one of the things where, like you said in the beginning, uh, is it calories in, calories out? Yes, that is probably the primary governing equation, but taking it a step further and splitting it out into the the macros is going to make a difference if you have specific body composition goals, meaning if you want to have more muscle and less fat. But 
for general, just everyday health, it's not as crucial. But if you really want to look a certain way, which most people do, um, you're going to have to be, pay a little bit more attention to the macros. Yeah, I'm curious about your personal experience trying different macronutrient ratios. Like I know you did keto for a while mm-hmm. um, and then stopped doing keto. And just you, for you personally, like what have you found works best for you or like what has your experience been? Um, my experience has been a more balanced approach tends to work best. Um, I work best. I'm a mesomorph body type, so I can gain weight easily. I can lose weight easily. I work best on a slightly higher protein, lower fat, moderate carb style approach. It, I love carbs. I'm just going to be honest. Mm-hmm. I love carbs. And when I was on keto, I felt great. My mental clarity was wonderful. The food was fun and I loved it. And I was actually able to sustain it a lot longer than I really thought I would have been able to. So, cause I, I just never felt hungry. But that being said, I just missed carbs on an emotional level. I'm half Asian, so I'm just used to eating rice and I like fruit. And I just feel like that approach is effective like seasonally. And there's some people who really need to be on that approach, like those who have diabetes or insulin resistance or, you know, PCOS. But for me, it's not sustainable for me long term. That makes total sense. Well, let's dive into the different body types because then I feel like I have all have a ton of questions going from there and I need sure. to talk a lot about the different body types. So maybe you can break down those body types for us. Sure. So there's three main body types, the endomorph, mesomorph, and ectomorph. And the endomorph is more of a type of person who has a hard time losing weight. They gain muscle very easily, but they tend to store more of their mass either in their lower body and glutes, or there's there's two types of endomorphs, actually. There's like a more of a pear-shaped endomorph, and there's also an apple-shaped endomorph where a very high concentration of their mass is stored in their stomach, and they have a terrible time trying to lose weight. No matter what they do, it is very, very hard for them. Moving on next is the mesomorph. They can gain weight easily. They can lose weight easily, build muscle easily, lose fat easily. So they tend to be very athletic and tend to, to, um, you know, have the the easiest time of, of all the three body types. And that leaves us with the ectomorphs. They have a hard time gaining weight. These people are naturally skinny, naturally high metabolisms. They really struggle to gain muscle, can be done with, you know, the appropriate nutrition protocols and training, but they tend to struggle a little bit more. And one of the main motivations for the reason why I really started getting into training my clients based off their body types, when I first started Gage Girl Training in 2013, I had a client who was an endomorph and I was trying to train her and feed her exactly the same way I was doing for myself as a mesomorph and it just wasn't working. And it wasn't until I like did a lot of research, really tweaked things and changed things for her body type, changed everything that I was really able to get her results. So it, I came across this as a need to help people get results. And at the end of the day, everyone's so different. And I think it gives a lot of women, especially peace of mind, knowing that, you know, it's not me, it's my body type, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because and embracing that, because I have some women who are like, my goodness, no matter what I do, I can't lose my butt. It's like, well, you know, like, (laughs) you, you just kind of got it, you got to work with what you got. And, you know, just like a Kim Kardashian body type style is never going to look like, a Gwyneth Paltrow, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or and working within what you can do for you and embracing your body. And I don't mean to be all over the place, but I think a lot of that comes with, you know, just good positive self-image as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And it goes back to what you were saying, like working with your body. And I think that's why a exactly. lot of women especially um have like poor body image or they're trying to they're trying to attain a goal that's not possible like what you're saying like if you have the kim k body type you're not gonna look Mm -hmm. like gwyneth and people have this image Mm -hmm. in their head that if they do the right you know the right diet and their exercise routine they will magically transform and like if your body isn't structured that way you just exactly there's there's some limitations and you can't change your bone structure like mm-hmm. you can't change certain things some people no matter what they do like if you have a short torso you have a short torso mm-hmm. and as opposed to fighting it and as opposed to hating yourself 
I think it's just like, you know what? Okay, this is what, let, let me be the best version of me mm-hmm. and to, to work within that realm. Because so many people, they'll come up to me and be like, okay, this is what I want to look like. Make me look like this. And it's like, well, I'll tell you what we can do. We can do, you know, we can lose this percent body fat per week. It's probably going to come off at this rate. You're most likely going to lose it from these areas first. And showing other people, especially people with a similar body type as them and what those people were able to achieve. So that way there's a more realistic expectation of what people can really, you know, get out of out of their efforts yeah I think it's kind of liberating to realize that like I'm just gonna work Uh, with my body (laughs) yes absolutely and I feel like a light bulb goes off for women when they have that moment where they're like you know what this is what I got this is who I am and I love seeing that happen in Mm -hmm. people like when it when it does happen and I I feel like everyone's on their different journey on a different path but when that does happen for an individual it's it's amazing to witness yeah. Does this apply to men too? Absolutely. Yes, it does. Okay. So I think um, in terms of figuring out your body type, maybe, do you have any like celebrity examples of each just to give people like maybe an easier image? Sure. Absolutely. So for endomorphs, um, more like um, Jordan Sparks, Scarlett Johansson, um, J-Lo, People get mad at me when I use Kim Kardashian because she's had so much plastic surgery. (laughs) But the pre-surgery Kim K, Uh um, I'd say maybe like Oprah. Now for for men, um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, I'm kind of drawing a blank on the endomorphs. Let's just go with with women. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, For mesomorphs, I'd say like a Janet Jackson, a Britney Spears, that Jessica Biel. You know, not skinny by any means, but very fit, able to gain weight, lose weight. And then for ectomorphs, you know, like that Kendall Jenner, that Gwyneth Paltrow, that Kate Moss, that, you know, very, you know, bordering on skinny Mm -hmm. body type. Okay. So what if someone feels like they're in between? Um, there are combination body types and it depends on which one you lean more towards. So I help people figure out their predominant body type with respect to how they should train and respect to how they should eat. So there are unique cases like that. I'd say 80% of people are like predominantly one, but maybe 20% of people are a combo. So if you are a combo, I would probably figure out which one is your predominant one. So for instance, I've had some people who look like a mesomorph, but they have the metabolism of an endomorph. So as a result of that, I would train them like an endomorph. Or I've had endomorphs where like really nice, like curvy girls who just have the metabolism of a mesomorph. So they can just respond really quick and still keep their curves. So for them, I would train them a little bit more like a mesomorph. But this is where I start getting into the customized approaches for people. Mm-hmm. And you know that's why we offer custom meal and training plans. Yeah. So is it, is it possible for someone to like switch body types throughout their life? Absolutely. Um, it happens sometimes like some women are like late bloomers where they could have been like skinny their entire teens and twenties. And then once they have, you know, children, their whole metabolism changes. So there are going to be some metabolic factors that will change with age. Um, that's definitely one thing. Um, there can be some autoimmune issues that completely change that as well. But the answer is yes, your body type can absolutely change with us, especially with ages. It's a big, big variable. Yeah, I feel like my mind totally changed because of autoimmune things and like hormonal mm. shifts. Yes. Um, but, okay, so let's go through, can we go through each of them and maybe you can do an overview of like what what type of training is more ideal for that body type and also maybe like dietary recommendations? Sure. So for the endomorph, it depends. So I have a lot of endomorphs who have a tendency to do better on higher fat, lower carb style approaches. They have a tendency to need a lot more cardio in addition to weight training. So um, they really need to be doing cardio on a regular, consistent basis if they're serious about trying to drop body fat. Um, Endomorphs do really well with um, running as their primary source of cardio. Again, they have a tendency to do better on higher fat, lower carb plans. It doesn't mean they can't eat any carbs, 
but they are very, they have a tendency to be sensitive to carbs. So paleo style approaches work really well. Keto style approaches work very well. As far as training, they have a tendency to do better with higher rep, lighter weight style approaches. And again, that cardio is a must for endomorphs. Now for mesomorphs, they need to be training moderately with cardio. So anywhere in that three to five times a week where for an endomorph, I would be like in that five to seven times a week. So, and mesomorphs can be a little bit more moderate on the cardio. As far as training, um, again, minimum of three to four times a week is, is plenty, but you can certainly do more if you want to reach your goals faster, but, um, they can be lifting moderately heavy. So I'd probably say somewhere in that, like 10 or eight to 12 wet rep range where an endomorph, I'd probably have them closer at 15 to 20 rep range with their training. Now, as far as food, mesomorphs have a little bit more flexibility. I have had some mesomorphs do um, high fat style plans, but they, they do better with a more balanced approach, like a 40, 30, 30 style. Mm -hmm. Um, now for ectomorphs, they don't need to be doing a whole lot of cardio and they, a lot of them really just want to do all the cardio, but I dial their cardio way back. They have a tendency to do better with higher carb style approaches with as much as 50% of their diet from carbs. They need to be lifting much heavier, kind of in that like six to eight rep range maximum, lifting much, much heavier, resting between sets and just eating a lot more food and dialing the cardio down. What, what happens if they do too much cardio? Um, they just lose whatever little muscle that they're trying to build. Mm, okay. And then yeah. going back to the endomorphs, um, why, why do the like higher reps, lighter weights work better for that body type? Um, cause they have a tendency to add muscle so easily and they, they get very bulky quickly mm -hmm. and they have a really hard time getting a leaner, tighter look and, taking that style approach with a higher volume approach, it's going to enable toning without adding as much bulk to the muscles. Yeah, actually, this is something I wanted to ask you about because I've been talking to quite a few of my friends about this and they're probably all more uh, ectomorph, but mm -hmm. I have quite a few friends who have been, you know, lifting weights and felt like they got bulkier than they wanted mm -hmm. and then trying to get out of that um mm -hmm. they're like how do I you know I still want to be toned but I, I but I don't want to be I don't want my muscles to be as big as they are so in that situation would you still have someone move more towards like higher reps lower weight um I would definitely do that but I think one issue is when there's a lot of like muscle bulk what a lot of people really want to see is more lean muscle definition. So there may be a fat loss component to that as well. So you may have the muscle there, but if there is a small layer of fat there, even if you are a petite person, you can still, you, your body fat percentage just may be too high as well to ob obtain the look you really want. And then that's where you kind of need to take a whole combination approach, having the nutrition and the fitness pieces working together in harmony. Okay, gotcha. So when you incorporate cardio into the routines, what is that looking like? So it's going to depend. So when I calculate somebody's macros, um, I'm going to ask them, the first thing is going to be like, all right, well, how many times can you realistically work out per week? And I ask the client first, like, and they tell me. So based off of that, once I know their basal metabolic rate, which is how many calories they need to sustain their current body mass at rest, I'll add their activity calories. So whatever those activity calories are, I pre-program it into their macro calculation. So I set their total daily energy expenditure based off of how many calories they can commit to burning in a week. So I kind of work backwards from, from that as opposed to saying, this is what you need to do. I'm like, okay, let's be realistic. How many times can you do it? And I'll balance the nutrition accordingly. Okay. So when someone's doing like weight training and cardio, how mm -hmm. does that usually, how do you recommend they, they're fitting that into their schedule? Like are they right after each other? So 
cardio is perfectly fine in the fasted state. If you're going to do weight training and cardio together, I never recommend fasted weight training because you're going, you're going to be going into it with, you know, empty muscles in the sense of you're not going to have as much glycogen in your system, which is going to support, um, a high quality performance in the gym. So if you're going to do them together, I do recommend doing them later in the day or after you've had a little bit of carbs, at least 15 grams of carbs pre-workout. Now that being said, I recommend doing weight training first, cardio second. And the reason for this is so that you have enough glycogen in your system to have a high performance with your lifting. And that way, by the time you get to your cardio, your glycogen is depleted from your muscles and your body can transition into fat burning much faster. Because if you just did the cardio first, it takes you about like 20 or so minutes till you burn through your glycogen before you get into the fat burning mode. And that was a really big piece of information that changed my body big time when I first really started seeing breakthroughs. And the first time I ever saw real abs is because I thought I was doing enough cardio. And granted, you don't need to be doing cardio for hours, like running five to 10 miles the way I used to. But you know, 20 minutes just wasn't enough. I needed to be doing a minimum of 40 to 45 minutes for my sessions for me to really get into that fat burning mode. Interesting. So were you doing less days a week, but just longer? Um, I was probably doing about three, four times a week, but it's kind of like that first 20 minutes or so because I have to burn through your glycogen first. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really count towards fat loss. It, yes, it counts towards total calories burned, but if you're really trying to take your body to that next level, you, you really need to go a little bit longer. And that's why so many fitness competitors, I mean, I've done it, will do cardio twice a day. Like it's just, it, you really need to be doing um, a decent amount of it when you're trying to get to that next level with your fat loss. Okay. So, well, but do you need to, like, let's say you need to be doing like 45 minutes in a day in yeah. a row, right? Like, like it wouldn't be the same if you did 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All together. Correct. Okay. Do you have people get in a certain number of steps during the day? Uh, oh, oh, oh. Um, yes, I do. I do. And um, I think sometimes when people are kind of beginners or when they're not able to have access to a gym, I do recommend that they get in at least somewhere between 8,000 and 10,000 steps a day. Okay, sounds good. Um, for people who aren't in a gym, what what recommendations do you have for them like to maximize their results? Yeah. So, um, one of the best things you can do for at-home workouts is invest in a, in a good kettlebell. Let's say a minimum of 20 pound kettlebells, but you can do a lot of dynamic movements, which is going to elevate your heart rate and allow you to tone your muscles at the same time. Okay. Kettlebells. What about like bands? Um, bands are okay, but I'm, I'm a big fan of like kettlebells and dumbbells. I'm, I'm not too big on bands. I mean, you can definitely do them, but, um, I like to do a combination of kettlebells um, free weights and body weight movements for home style training. Do you feel like people can get just as good results at home if the programming is good or do you think? Ab absolutely. Okay. Yeah. 100%. Because you have, you have the gym plans and then home plans, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. Um, so another thing I want to talk about is like transitioning out of fat loss into maintenance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people, once they reach their fat loss goals, it becomes like a free for all, like, okay, well <laughs> I can eat all the things now. And you know, it's really important to reverse diet to gradually allow your metabolism to catch back up because when most people have successfully lost a lot of body fat, their metabolism is most likely quite low because they were most likely eating lower calories for a prolonged period of time. So it's important to give yourself somewhere and this is, no one's going to like this, but somewhere in the range of like four to even eight weeks to reverse diet. And what that looks like is you take your current macros of where you were at for fat loss, calculate your maintenance macros. And then the gap between those two, you want to slowly add more carbs, slowly add more fat on a weekly basis. Sometimes 10, 15 grams at a time, mostly on the carb side. And what I do with my clients, especially my, my contest prep clients, is I have them measure their waist on a weekly basis. And 
as long as their waste isn't increasing, we can go on to the next level. But if it's staying, we want to make sure it's staying the same. Okay. How much are you usually increasing each week? Um, typically around 10 to 15 grams. Some people I can take it jumps as big as 25 grams, but it depends on the person. And why with carbohydrates? Um, because the balance of the macros is going to be carbs and the gap between maintenance macros and fat loss macros, the biggest difference is going to be in the carbohydrate range. There'll be maybe little tweaks with proteins and fats, but nothing super significant as, as, as significant as the carbs. Okay. So you said about like four to eight weeks maybe to reverse diet. Mm-hmm. In the mm-hmm. fat loss phase, what's realistic for someone in terms of like how quickly they can lose fat? So if a woman is 110% on track with cardio, 110% on track with weight and nutrition, no cheats, no alcohol, she can lose 0.8% body fat per week. The average woman's most likely going to lose around 0.5% body fat per week. So that being said, it's just a matter of what your starting body fat percentage is. But again, let's say you say you're going to do this in, in a month, you know, let's say five weeks, 0.8%, 0.8 times five, you could lose up to, you know, 4% in a month. But that's assuming you are doing everything 100% on point. And I think a lot of people are shocked when they realize how slow the process really is. It's not fast. When you're losing true body fat, not water, not muscle, but just fat. I'm going to take a brief pause from this chat with Christine to tell you guys about a little muscle recovery hack that you might not know about. In this episode, we're talking a lot about nutrition and fitness advice, but recovery is a very important part of building muscle, which most people want to reach their physique goals and just to perform at your best. You need to make sure your muscles recover. And something that can actually help a lot with that is compression socks. I used to think that compression socks were only for old people or medical use and that they were really ugly and super expensive. But then I learned about Comrade and it totally changed my life. And I wear these socks basically every day. And I found out that compression socks actually have a ton of health benefits and there are many different reasons why you might want to wear these. Like I mentioned, compression socks can actually help post-workout for improved muscle recovery. So you can wear these after your workout, but also during your workout. And it really, really helps to make sure your muscles recover more quickly. But also every day just at work, if you stand all day or if you're sitting all day, sometimes your legs can get swollen. I deal with this all the time. And I used to have to spend like 30 minutes putting my legs up the wall every evening to get the swelling to go down. And now I don't deal with the swelling if I wear my Comrade compression socks. So that's another reason. Also, of course, when you're traveling, wearing compression socks can be really helpful to reduce the swelling in your legs. And if you're pregnant, this is actually a great hack to prevent the swelling and discomfort or any spider veins. And I love Comrade socks because they're designed for everyday wear. They're the most comfortable compression socks. And they look like normal everyday socks. There's also a lot of really cool technology behind these. So they use lab tested true graduated compression, which is medically proven to help the circulation of blood from your feet back toward your heart. They have a padded toe and heel cushion and slide free cuffs that keep the socks up all day. And they have smart silver antimicrobial technology, which helps to prevent odor causing bacteria. So your socks will stay fresher longer. And with the holidays coming up, these socks are great for stocking stuffers. They're also great for white elephant parties. And why would you give someone regular socks when you can give them socks with health benefits? They have a ton of different color and size options. They have wide calf socks as well. And for the holidays, they have different sets of three, which can be perfect gifts. I love the plain black ones, the plain white ones, the navy and pink striped socks. Love those. And I also love the ombre pink so much. I also really love the varsity socks. Those look really cute when you're working out. Just saying. But like I said, they have a ton of different colors and styles. So you can get something plain or something with a little pattern if you love a pattern. I am so addicted to wearing these. 
I cannot go back. Once you, once you go comrade, you can't go back. So I think that you are going to want to pick some up for yourself and as presents. Super easy gift this year. So if you want to get your hands on some comrade socks, just go to comradesocks.com and use my discount code CRW for 20% off at checkout. Again, that's comradesocks.com, C-O-M-R-A-D, socks.com and use my code CRW for 20% off your purchase. So now that you know a little muscle recovery hack just by wearing socks, let's go ahead and hop back into this conversation with Christine. Do you ever find that people are coming to you with really unrealistic goals? Absolutely. And that's where like, I have to have a talk with them. Like, look, the only way you're going to lose 25 pounds in a month would be like if you cut a limb off. Like, yeah, probably. <laughs> and I just, I have to talk them into reality about what is possible. And that's something I'm really happy to do though, to bring them into reality. I'll be like, look, like you could do that, but it's just, this is where people get so caught up on the number of the scale. And I bring them back into reality where it's like losing weight doesn't necessarily change your body composition. And you don't want to just look like a skinny fat version of yourself. Yeah. And, you know, when, when I really bring people into reality that that number isn't going to make you look tighter. And, you know, a lot of people can be talked into reality. I say 99.9% of people can be talked into reality. What, what metrics do you usually have them um, measuring? Um, I have them take um, all of their body measurements, um, biceps, um, neck, chest, um, high waist, belly button, hips, thighs, calves, and yeah, that's it for like the the body, the, the measurements on a weekly basis, photos, and the weight, as well as the resting heart rate. Okay, and so how do you use the the resting heart rate? So with the resting heart rate, um, with my app, I have my clients um, typically sync their heart rate monitors or their Fitbit. And it's important for me to see that change because um, I like to look for things I like to call non-scale victories, other areas where people can see progress that aren't necessarily just the scale. And a real easy metric is looking at somebody's resting heart rate. I've had clients go from resting heart rates of like 80 to 60 over the course of like their six week plan or a 12 week plan. And that's such a big deal to have a, a, a lower resting heart rate because it means your body's getting more efficient at pumping blood throughout the body. And I like to show people other ways that their health is getting better and very easy to monitor things. If you have a Fitbit, it's really easy to, to tell. Yeah. I, what about, well, let's talk about plateaus for a second. Like, do you, have you ever had a client where you just feel like like they're just not responding, like people who are, it's really difficult to get them to respond? Um, yes, I've definitely been there. And I think when that happens, you need to delineate between two things. Like number one is, is it program compliance? Meaning they just can't follow their plan. And if not, why? And that's the easier one to fix if it makes sense. Because if they're just not following their plan, okay, how can I make this plan simpler? How can I make it foods that they really like? How can I make it more convenient? What could I do to get this person on track? So there's that element. But if it's like a true plateau, meaning they're doing everything 110%, I, I don't have to doubt that they're following what they're supposed to do, then what? Well, at that point, that's when there's some options. There's three things I typically do when someone hits a plateau. A, I'll either change their activity level, B, I'll either tweak their macros, or C, I'll change their meal timing. I try to go with C first. I always try to like tweak the meal timing first because I'd rather not reduce their calories if I don't have to. And I've successfully been able to do this with a lot of people by either implementing intermittent fasting or by, I've had some people who just, like I said before, they'll do weight training, but in the fasted state and by changing Get, putting their food before their workout has been able to give them great results. I've had one girl who was in a plateau for three weeks, and it wasn't until I shifted her carbs pre-workout that we were able to boost out of the plateau because it boosted her performance and her body was able to utilize her glycogen more efficiently. That's so interesting. Um, so 
Let's talk more about the intermittent fasting because I think there's some uh, disagreements over like why that's helpful for people. So why do you, does, does intermittent fasting alone help or is it because it helps people reduce their calories? Um, so the thing is, it's, it's not about the, I mean, okay. So if you're not in a caloric deficit, intermittent fasting is not going to help you. Mm -hmm. Um, however, if all things equal, if you're eating 1500 calories a day, let's say, and you're eating that over the course of 16 hours, what happens is every time you eat, your body has an insulin spike. The problem with that, every time you have an insulin spike, that insulin hormone is secreted from your pancreas. Every time that happens and your body is trying to lower the blood sugar, the insulin has to shuttle the glucose into your cells for energy, your pancreas is busy. Your pancreas is the same location that releases the glucagon hormone, which allows your body to burn stored body fat. So that being said, if you're having these insulin spikes all day long, your pancreas doesn't have as much residence time to be releasing the fat-burning hormone. So if you concentrate all those meals in a shorter window, give your pancreas a break and give it 16 hours, or if longer for some folks who'd like to fast longer, you're giving your body more time to have the hormones do what they need to do. And that's why it's so effective. Now, if you're not in a caloric deficit, if you're just eating whatever you want and then just like, oh, I'm fasting. No, it's not going to work. But if you're, <laughs> but if you're following it properly, yes, absolutely. Okay. That makes total sense. Are there any other like meal timing shifts that you sometimes make that are helpful besides intermittent fasting and the carbs pre work? Um, it's going to depend on, on the person, on the client. I, I do recommend that my clients do get their, um, post-workout protein um, within about 30 to 60 minutes afterwards. But other than that, um, it depends on the individual. What about eating before bed? Nah, no, it's a myth. I've never seen any <laughs> issues with it. My, even myself on my contest prep days, sometimes I'm eating my last meal at like 11.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. I, I just because it's a long day and makes no difference. Yeah, that's been my experience too. I'm like, I don't think it matters. But I it do really think doesn't. for some people, I think for some people where it matters is with like, if it affects their sleep um, mm. or like with digestion for some people. Absolutely. And not only that, I think it's more of like that habit. I think some people have a tendency just to eat more food at night. Yeah. And yeah, that's not really about the time of day. It's just if you, if it makes you eat more then sure, that's a habit that you may want to avoid. Yeah. Um, so with fat loss, um, I, w I want to talk about the binge eating um, side of things because I think sometimes people, they go in a deficit and they come out and they just want to binge or like they struggle with binging. And I know you've talked a little bit about this uh, like on your channel. So maybe you can talk a bit more about like stopping binge eating. Yeah, I think that um, it's it's a challenge and, you know, it it impacts everybody on a very personal level. I've struggled with it in, in my own ways at different points, but I think that it's, it's something that you need to have a lot of grace towards yourself. And, you know, some people feel like, oh man, I messed up. Oh man, I did this. I did that. Um, let me just throw in the towel, but no, it's one of those things where you just need to kind of mentally reset and move on. Or sometimes if you find yourself consistently doing that, you may need to set a less aggressive goal for yourself. So I think it's going to depend on the individual. I have had some clients who have struggled with that. And I said, look, let's, um, let's focus on a less aggressive goal for you. That's easier to maintain as opposed to something that you feel hungry all the time. Yeah. Do you ever find that shifting macros helps with that? Um, sometimes, sometimes I find that like slightly higher fat style meal plan, um, can really boost um, one's feeling of satisfaction and fullness. So that can certainly help. But sometimes it it comes down to the person. That it doesn't really matter the macros. It's it's an impulse that needs to be controlled. And I think that a lot of people need to really look at why they want the food because now we're getting into emotional eating. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I tell my clients, like, food isn't going to solve your problem. The only problem that food solves is hunger. It's not going to 
solve depression. It's not going to solve heartbreak. It's not going to solve financial stress. It's just a temporary comfort. And I think a lot of binge eating comes from seeking food for emotional comfort. Yeah, that's true. I feel like we are not taught how to deal with our emotions as well as we should. And food is no, the easy out, right? It really is. And it's it's unfortunate that it's not talked about a lot more because it really needs to be. And that's why like, I've talked about my struggles with it too because I don't want it to be the type of thing that we just sweep under the rug and pretend we don't struggle with because – you know, if it was just as easy as following the science, everyone would have the body they want. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's a practical human emotional element to all of this. So what helped you with the binge eating? Um, for me, it's not having certain foods in the house. It's drinking more water. Um, my go-to when I feel like I'm just craving something is I, I have a Granny Smith apple. I have these green apples. Like, I, I, I just... I love like that tart taste. And for me, it's like, you know what, if I ate an apple and that puts me over my macros for the day, oh, well, you know, I would rather it be that than a whole catastrophe of, you know, whatever. And sometimes you just got to like eat more and I try to make a healthier choice. So, but for me, it's not even having the stuff in the house. Yeah. Can maybe we talk about tips for increasing satiety while in a deficit? Sure. Um, Higher volume foods for sure. Um, I like to include free foods in my meal plans for my clients. So spinach, kale, arugula. Um, You can also make some kale chips. Pickles are my go-to. I can't consider dill pickles a free food. I mean, a huge dill pickle is like maybe five calories. I don't even count them. Um, It's just something um, to crunch on. It's something salty, something delicious. Um, so if you like salty, sour stuff, which I do, so those things work well, sparkling water, coffee, tea, water. Um, but those are really big ones and then being more strategic. So, you know, there's going to be some vegetables that are going to take up much more volume than others. So things like zucchini, spaghetti, squash, butternut squash, all the squashes are very high volume, but very low carb. So you're going to get more volume on the plate. If you're choosing those over things like rice and potatoes. So um, going for things like that always help out. But um, yeah, those are what I I do to try to stay on track when in a deficit. I think it also relates back to like the food quality. You know, Mm. like if you are focusing on food quality and you're not just doing like if it fits your macros with like Mm -hmm. crappy food, you're going to be more satiated because it's like healthier foods have more volume. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think the key with that is um, where I help my my clients get around that is when you break down carbs, carbs are, there's also the sugar component and the fiber component. So if you have a fiber goal for the day and a sugar goal for the day, because, you know, just because it's IIFYM doesn't mean it's a free for all to just have all sugar all day. Now, granted, if that keeps you on track here and there by all means, but in general, 10% 10% of your daily carb intake should really only, only 10% of your daily carb intake should be from sugar. And that was just new as of 2018 with the FDA's new nutrition standard. Before that, there was no RDA on sugar intake. Yeah, well, I'm glad they have changed that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a big deal because, I mean, I feel like if it's 2019 and people are still drinking like soda, like, my yeah. God. It's just like, what are you doing? At least do diet soda, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, just like that alone, the number of people who, if they just cut out their soda. Yes. Like it's that crazy. alone. Yeah. People do not realize. So we, we talked a little bit about um, macros and training for the different body types. But what about special cases? Like what if you're dealing with someone who maybe has like gut issues or PCOS um, you know, other health issues, do you make other adjustments or do you still go off the body type? No. So under those circumstances, um, I have a very specific protocol where I adjust their fats and fat and carb ratios based off of other parameters. So, um, it depends when it comes to that type of stuff. So I kind of break them down into different categories. So, 
if somebody has um, like a thyroid issue, um, they can't be very, very low carb, but they can be moderately low carb. So I have different ranges um, for my clients with the thyroid issues versus my clients with the hormone issues versus my clients um, with like the diabetes and stuff. So, and I have a really good protocol called the 10 week low carb, high fat protocol that I launched this in 2017 and had so many people with a wide range of different needs. And this plan's got like 270 menus, a lot of different protocols. Hot, like, I think one problem is, is when people have hormone health issues, whether it's a thyroid issue, estrogen dominance, an estrogen imbalance, something of that nature, they right away want to go on a caloric deficit because their doctor told them to lose weight. But I don't think that's the best step for a lot of these people. I think a lot of people need to balance their hormones first and then pursue that because if you just go on a caloric deficit and you're eating so much less food, your body isn't getting enough nutrients to balance the hormones first. And I think it's so important to balance out your hormones first. And I'm not saying you need to be at maintenance, but just not a really big deficit. Let's get your hormones stable first before we, you know, focus more on losing weight. And once people do that, I mean, the experience is so much better for the, for the client. Yeah. I mean, I definitely experienced that myself. I was working with a trainer um, a couple of months ago and no matter what we did, like my body was not responding, mm-hmm. like, nothing yep. was changing. And then I was like, I need to stop this. And I was working on my gut issues. And like, as soon as mm-hmm. I got out of the deficit and it was just like, I stopped working out and I and mm-hmm. lost like 10 pounds. That's amazing. Yep. I see it all the time. And I, I, I really am glad that you said that. I really hope a lot of people hear that and take that to heart because for people in that specific situation, that's probably one of the best things you can do. Yeah. And here's my question, though. So with people with autoimmune issues, you know, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like lifelong management, mm-hmm. um, does that mean that they're probably – I don't know, like long term, you know, if it's not something where you feel like, let me fix this underlying issue first, and then I can go after my fat loss goals. How do you kind of reach that balance with someone who has autoimmune issues that they're kind of always managing? Um, I think it's going to come down to proper food selection. Um, I've had some people who I've had to put on like low FODMAP style plans where you know, there's just certain foods that don't agree with their system and, you know, working really closely with the client, figuring out which foods they are. Obviously there's like common culprits, but there's also other things that you'd be surprised that you wouldn't think like that tomatoes or garlic or things that are, you know, they seem innocuous, but they could actually be aggravating, um, somebody's system. So, um, I, I work closely with them to figure out what, foods don't work for them and then building plans around what does work Mm -hmm. and what about training like do you find that you have to kind of adjust training with those people absolutely because you know sometimes too much training can really wear on on the adrenals for folks in that um, category so it's a matter of having that feedback loop of okay let's try this let's look at the result try this look at the result and I can really dig deep with this type of stuff with my one-on-one coaching clients because, you know, you have to be able to assess the data. Okay, if I do this, what what are the resulting changes? What are the changes in the measurements? What are the changes in the weight? How is this person feeling? And there has to be like a cycle of where we're going back and forth and making a change and having data to validate or invalidate whether the change was effective or not. Always comes back to bioindividuality, right? Yes, it does. Absolutely. Um, so that, that high-fat, low-carb plan you were talking about, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. what type of people do you recommend that for? It's fantastic for those with PCOS, hormone imbalances, those who are insulin resistant, those who um, have type 2 diabetes, or those who, you know, are have like perimenopause starting to approach menopause and I have like a whole group of ladies like you know in that slightly older bracket who feel like their needs are just completely ignored and they can't eat these high protein low fat high carb style approaches that all these like 
young little Instagram <laughs> models are doing, it just doesn't work for them. And I, some women, like, I really um, sympathize for them because, you know, I, when, when a client is working their butt off and they're not getting results, I mean, as their coach, you want to get them where they want to be and find a solution. So I found that that, that solution works best. Okay. That, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I think it's hard when everyone's trying to do the same thing, especially with Instagram Exactly. Now. Oh my goodness. Like Instagram is just this comparison and people just try and literally copy the exact same meal plans that some random Instagram girl is, is it, posting. It's, a, it's about as foolish as trying to like wear somebody's like mouth guard, you know, <laughs> like, or that's it, a really good analogy. <laughs> you know, it's so foolish. Like, makes no sense yeah that's instagram culture um, yeah well i also want to ask so if someone's in an aggressive caloric deficit for a while mm-hmm. will that cause any long-term damage um it can um when you go too low in carb for too long what's going to end up happening is hormonally your leptin levels are going to drop this is the hormone that tells your body that it's in a state of scarcity so if that leptin hormone goes too low what can help is um, having a refeed day, and leptin. The leptin hormone is responsive to glucose. So, when you have a refeed day, you preferentially want to go higher in your carbohydrates. Not just like eat all the things and you know binge, but strategically go higher carb because that's going to raise the leptin hormone specifically because leptin responds better to glucose than it does to fat. Yeah, I definitely experienced that. I was low carb for a really long time and it totally messed with my leptin um, and my hormones. So when, just kind of to clarify, what do you consider like low carb, moderate carb, high carb? So I consider low carb to be honestly under, well, okay, very low carb is under 50 grams. I would say low carb is under 100 grams. I'd say moderate carb is 100 to um 100 to 150 grams, and I'd say um, high carb, well, 100 to 100, 100 to 200 might be more moderate, and then 200 plus I would consider high carb. But all of that being said, um, the FDA recommended daily allowance for carbs is 300 grams per day, which is crazy. So everything's low carb according to the FDA, but yeah, <laughs> it's just wild. I think we all know we can't go off that mm, recommendation. No, heck no. <laughs> um, I, I kind of, I want to like wrap up with some talking about like the emotional side of this and mm-hmm. first, do you find that tracking macros ever kind of messes with people's relationships with food? I think it can. Um, if you let it, the thing is it's, you eat a certain number of macros every day, whether you track it or not. Mm-hmm. So I think that paying more attention and being aware of what you're eating is the key to figuring things out. And I think that regardless of whether or not you're in a deficit, having an eyes wide open approach to what you're doing is very important. It would be like having a savings goal. You're trying to save, you know, save money, but you, or you have debt for instance, and then you never look at your credit card statement. Yeah. Like you got, you got to look at it, <laughs> how to deal with it. And I think that People just kind of need to be coached through the appropriate mindset to have towards it. Yes, there are some people that go off the deep end with that for sure. But if it's used in the appropriate context, it shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, I I agree. I had never tracked until like this year and I felt like I learned so much about my body, Mm -hmm. especially in terms of satiation. And Mm -hmm. before when I was experimenting, you know, I thought I was like, oh, I tried higher carb and it didn't work. Or I tried higher fat and I felt this way. Like, but I, because I wasn't tracking, I wasn't really doing it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And I tell my clients, like, if it can't be measured, it can't be improved. So this is a tool to see what you're doing and to index it. And I think some people stress out a lot when it comes to applying numbers to food. Mm -hmm. And for those folks who struggle with that, following a meal plan is probably going to just be better because if you're just following a meal plan, you don't have to double track it. You can just prepare your foods. And it doesn't mean that you're eating leftovers all day long. You can cook every single day if Mm -hmm. you want. Um, But it's just having that context. 
Yeah, I think knowledge is power, you know. Exactly, exactly. So you you competed and mm-hmm. I am curious how that affected your emotional health and your body image. Yeah, um it competing improved my body image, definitely. I mean, it gave me a lot of confidence in what I was able to accomplish. But afterwards, I I struggled for quite some time feeling like I only looked good when I looked a certain way. And in hindsight, you know, I I probably weigh about a solid 20, 25 pounds more than I did when I competed. I still feel healthy and strong and I don't feel fat by any means. But there were years, not years, there was a period of time where I didn't feel good about myself because I was like 10 pounds over stage weight. I'm thinking, like, are you kidding me? In hindsight now, I'm like, you look great. You look healthy. But you competitors, and for me personally, tend to get some body dysmorphia where mm-hmm. you just have this, this distorted image of what you look like. And it's it's tough. I mean, even, even male competitors struggle with it, too. It's not just women. And if somebody's already kind of anal and already type A and already high strung, <laughs> throw all that on top of it can be a mess but I've gotten through it I've you know embraced my weight gain I'm working towards personally you know leaning out a little bit more to a healthier body um just for myself but um doesn't mean I'm trying to be contest lean again but I'm at a point where you know I'm ready to start like getting leaner but for the right reasons not just to look good on a stage yeah and so how do you stop yourself from comparing your body now to like when you were as lean as you were on stage? I mean, it's the past. I mean, I can only control the present moment Mm -hmm. and I can only embrace where I'm at right now. There's nothing I can do about that. So the only thing I can do is control my mindset, control my outlook and control what I feed myself moving forward. So there's, it's really a waste of energy. Yeah. I love that you said that. I just think a lot of women can relate even if they haven't, you know, competed, but our, our bodies change over time. You know, mm-hmm. and I find a lot of people come to me like, and they want to look the way they looked when they were 18. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you, you just might not, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where like a lot of like, you know, like we were talking about in the very beginning with the body types, accepting yourself, embracing yourself, loving yourself as you are. Because even when you have an eight pack, even when I had like the tightest, leanest, lowest body fat doesn't mean you love yourself you know what I mean you can love yourself at any size it doesn't mean you you don't have to reach this magical goal of body composition Mm -hmm. to love yourself and treat yourself good yeah well and also like when when have you been the healthiest um it's hard to say I mean I really feel very healthy right now yeah I feel very healthy right now I think um all of that, like pushing yourself to these physique extremes, it, it's a great exercise and discipline and determination. But, you know, my body image wasn't the healthiest back then. I had tons of insecurities, even at my leanest. So, I mean, I feel more confident in my body now. I don't know if it's age, if it's maturity or what, but um, looking a certain way doesn't guarantee that. Yeah, I think also, um, I don't know if you experienced this, but like, I, I feel like my body is like a science experiment, like data points. Yes. And when I look at it more like that, I'm not as emotionally attached. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you mentioned that right now you're at a point where you you just like want to lean out a little bit. Um, so what what changes are you making for that? Well, I'm actually going to be participating. I'm going to be putting my journey on YouTube starting on Monday. I'm doing my holiday shred challenge. This is a time of year where if people don't track it myself too, like I need to have goals to be focused and, you know, I don't want to gain weight this holiday. Um, I have a birthday coming up in January. I, I want to feel leaner. I have some body fat I want to lose and I'm not looking to do anything crazy aggressive. I just want to feel better. Mm-hmm. And that's my main motivation. Awesome. So are you like changing your fitness? What are you adjusting with yeah, nutrition? Yeah. yeah, no, I've, I've been, on, on my nutrition for the last like five, six weeks, but I'm actually going to be doing one of my own shred plans. I mean, I created the plan. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing that starting on Monday. I'm going to be doing that from November 4th through December 15th. And yeah, I'm going to be, I just want to be documenting it on YouTube because I, I find that, you know, it's easier to just 
be genuinely real with my imperfections than trying to be fake perfect. Because I'm not that same person who had an eight pack back in the day. But this is where I'm at now. And I just want to be very transparent with my audience and just like, hey, this is where I'm at. This is how I do it. And you know, if you want to achieve similar results, this is what it's going to look like. And I want to show that on a very personal level, as opposed to just a very high level educational level. Yeah, well, that's why I love your content, because it is so informative and so real. And I think a lot of people can relate. So I appreciate what you do. I appreciate that. Thank you. So I'm sure people are going to want to find out more about your programs and check out your channel. So can you just remind everyone where they can get more from you? Absolutely. You guys can check out my programs and services on gaugegirltraining.com, G-A-U-G-E-G-I-R-L, training.com. You guys can check me out on YouTube, Gage Girl Training, Instagram, Gage Girl Training, or you can check out my supplement line on gagelife.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Christina. It was so much fun chatting with you. Likewise. Thank you so much, Christina. Huge shout out to Christine for coming on the podcast and sharing all of her knowledge. Make sure you go to gagegirltraining.com to find more from Christine. Follow her on Instagram at gagegirltraining and definitely check out her YouTube channel. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to share it, make sure you tag me, tag Christine at Gage Girl Training and tag Wellness Wellness Podcast and that way I can say thank you for showing your support and if you think that someone you know would like this episode, make sure you send it to them so they can hear it too and if you want to show extra support, then go ahead and leave a rating and a review on iTunes, that really helps me spread the word about the podcast so we can keep growing the community and as always you can join our Facebook group Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe to connect with other listeners. That's going to be it for today's episode. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day and I'll chat with you again next time. Bye.